Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Okay, okay, if I can steal your attention back, that'd be very good. Um, Happy New Year, one and all. My name is Adrian, if you don't know me. Happy New Year to all of you downstairs. Happy New Year to all of you upstairs. Happy New Year to you, even. Everyone online, really good to be back in the room together. Um, What surprised me then? I think what surprised me is this revelation that this year I turned 49. That means the next year I turn 50. And I just wanted to point that out because um, there's a rumor that's going around that I'm actually turning 60. And um, (laughs) though I've got the hair that goes with it, I promise you it's 50. Um, So that's the thing that's surprising me. Um, New Year's are weird, aren't they? I I don't know if you find that. I think as I get older, I realize, one, they seem to come around quite quickly. Uh, And two, um, they're complex. I don't know if you find that. Like, New Year is complex. It's like filled with this sense of, okay, what's been? Which can both be um, good, it can be bad, it can be something that we're pleased with, it can be things that we're regretting, it's things that we're slightly disappointed with. It also, in terms of like what's coming, it's like that sense of hope and excitement, but also maybe some anxiety of like, how's this gonna work out? Like New Year, I think is complex. And therefore, I think it's good to not just rush gun-ho into it. And as we started talking as a team, um, we kind of said that we'd do the first couple of weeks uh, differently this Sunday. Normally, we'd get into a series and say, hey, this is where we're going. And we will get into a series. We're actually not going to get into it until February, where we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed together. I promise you, it's going to be good. But Before getting to that point, it just felt like um, we needed to just live with something that God often speaks to us about as a community, and that's to pause, to be present in the moment and allow God to shape us as we move through this year. And therefore, there's some particular things that we're going to look at over the next three or four Sundays that I believe are ways in which God wants to characterize us as individuals, invite us to be characterized by uh, as individuals this coming year. Not as a kind of moment of like, that's it, tick, done that this week. No, no, it's going to be over the coming 12 months. But also something that's going to characterize us as a whole. That's what we'll look at next week in terms of Vision Sunday. But today I want to look at a question. A question that I believe... God wants to characterize us as a community, as a church, uh, over this coming year. A question that I want us to give ourselves to asking one another and being prepared to answer. And it's a question that isn't to breathe condemnation. It's not to breathe kind of a sense of competition and comparison. But rather, it's a question that I think is at the very heart of what we're trying to be and all that's come out in terms of our gather sense of singing and worshipping together, of saying, actually, how are you doing living centred on Jesus? Man, how are you doing living centred on Jesus? It's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Because we tend to just talk about how we're doing. But actually, as followers of Jesus, this is it. 
This is what it all revolves around. Like, how are we doing living centered on Jesus in that um, wonder of what Mike read out of the power of the resurrection? Oh, man, we love that. And yet also the fellowship of the suffering. Like, that's what it is to follow him, to walk with him, knowing the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of the suffering. And to live lives that are continuously being more and more centered on him. See, we believe that Jesus offers us this life that is enough. Enough for you and enough for me. It's a life that redefines us. It's a life that we've said changes everything. And therefore, we want to be those that seek to live in the good of that life. Seek to continuously say, how am I allowing more and more of who I am to be centered on who he is in order that who he is would shape and characterize who I am? But the reality is that doesn't happen by mistake. It happens with purpose. Not out of a sense of kind of condemnation or comparison, but rather this invitation to be liberated into more and more of this life that Jesus has for you, that Jesus has for me. And therefore, I believe that we're to give ourselves this question this coming year. I think if we do, we'll look different to who we are now at the end of the year. Just think about it, like, what would it look like that when you gather with people in small groups, when we come on a Sunday, when we bump into someone in the supermarket or on the street or we're texting someone, we, we just say, like, how are you doing? Like, living centered on Jesus. Expecting the same question is going to come to us. Realizing that isn't like a kind of thing of, hey, look how cool I am. No, no, it's a moment of someone who's deeply committed to encouraging you to live in the wonder of who Jesus is and the life he has for us. And you see, Jesus longs for us to live this way. Like he invites each and every one of us to live in the good of the life he has. You find it in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, where Jesus gives this invitation that is incredibly profound. See, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Wow. Like, what an invitation. Come to me and find rest. Come to me, one who is full of gentleness and humility. Find rest. Come to me and know ease and lightness. I don't know about you, but I want to hear that afresh today. Like, I didn't know how... um, Alice was going to start this morning with that invitation, you know, find rest in Jesus. And here he is saying, yeah, come. Do you need it? Feeling a burden as the year comes in? Feeling weary? Jesus says, come. Feeling like, oh, no, no, I'm not weary. I'm, I'm like up for this year. Jesus says, come. 
Let me define how your year will look. See, Jesus doesn't only say, I want to give you a life that is full of rest, rest that is in the very deepest possible way, a rest for your soul, the very core of our being, like a rest that we get to enjoy from now through eternity. But he didn't just leave us that, saying, well, okay, well, how, do, how do I do that? Like, how do I live in the good of that life? Like Jesus says, well, I'll show you. Like, come and be yoked to me. Come and be deeply connected to me. Remember the gentle and humble one, the one who's not going to force himself on us. Brother says, come and allow me to reveal how you can live your life centered on me. This isn't a moment of saying, hey, try harder, do better. Now, this is one who's full of gentleness. And that word gentleness means that he knows how to handle you. knows how to handle me. He, like, sees us in the reality of who we are, which is human beings with fragile stickers, like, all around us. Like, some of us pretend they're not there. We're like, no, no, I'm pretty robust. I can take on everything and anything. But when we allow the reality to be seen, we just think, no, no, I'm fragile. I need handling with care. I do. I really do. And Jesus knows how to handle us. And he says, I I know how to handle you, not to bring condemnation, but to bring liberation, to cause you to live in the good of the life that I'm wanting you to live in, a life full of my rest, where you continuously know I'm enough. Whether you're knowing the power of the resurrection, or the fellowship of suffering. Jesus is enough. And you see, that being yoked to Jesus means that we allow his life to shape our life. And what we've done as a community is kind of looked at this and said, actually, well, what does that look like? Like, like when you look at the life of Jesus, like how did he live? Because how he's lived is how he's longing to shape our lives. And what we found is that there's like some practices of how he lived that can help us shape how we live. And I want to look at just eight now. At that point, you're going to think, man, eight? How long are you going to speak for? We're going to go quickly through them. Because here's the deal. If you want to look at them in a bit more detail, we run something called the Way to Stay Centered um, Learning Community where we look at these eight practices together and learn from one another of how we can allow Jesus to shape our lives more. Now, in it, when you start something and you say, okay, we've heard about rest, we've heard about one who's humble, we're hearing you want to, we want to be yoked to Jesus, and now you're saying eight practices, like I thought it was ease, and now I'm just being weighed down. No, no, this isn't like a to-do list. This isn't like, here's eight things I'm going to do tomorrow morning. Remember, this is an invitation. An invitation over the coming year to say, how am I going to cause Jesus to be more at the center? And how can some of these practices help me? My guess is, for some of us, it's just going to be at the beginning saying, actually, yeah, Jesus, I just need to put you back in the center. For others of us, it's going to be one or two of these practices. We're going to think, yeah, I kind of need to give myself more to that because as I allow how Jesus lived to shape more how I live, it's going to cause me to be liberated more into this life that Jesus has for me. 
there you go. Not a to-do list, not a try-harder list, an invitation to be liberated. Liberated in order that rest would be the place that we live from. Sounds good. First one, sustained. Just to so you know, I'm not going to look at all the Bible passages that are going to be up there. Take a photo of them, make a note of them. You can then go and read them in your own leisure as they reveal something about the life that Jesus reveals. You see, Jesus is one who lives sustained. If you read the gospel accounts, you discover he's one that's continuously living in relationship to who the Father is and the power of the Spirit. He knew what it was to be sustained. And he invites us to live the same. He invites us to be those that live sustained by Jesus and in Jesus. In terms of sustained in Jesus, it means that we get to live from the basis of identity being found in him. Not what others think of us, not what we achieve, not what we do, but rather Jesus defines our identity and says that you are more loved than you could dare to believe. You have nothing to prove. You are loved and accepted. We're sustained in Jesus. We're also then sustained by Jesus. Jesus sent the person of the Holy Spirit in order that we'd know daily, moment by moment, the Spirit coming to bring comfort, counsel, to be our advocate, to be the one who empowers us and cause us to know the reality of the Father's love and the identity that Jesus provides for us. Jesus comes and says, Take on my yoke and know that this isn't about you. It's not down to you. No, it's me. You're sustained in me. You're sustained by me. Secondly, second practice, scripture. Jesus said, you cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. You see, the Bible isn't like an added extra. It's not like, oh, well, that's kind of a book that you get to when you feel a bit more keen. Now, the Bible's there because it reveals who God is, why we're all here, what God's longing to do, and how God's longing to break into our life to catch us up into the wonder of what he's about. A pretty good book to read. Revealing the wonder of Jesus and how Jesus wants to come and break into our lives. Therefore, the invitation is to come and find joy, strength, wisdom that transforms us as we come and give time to the Bible, to Scripture. And that means that we need to allow time to think about it. It means that we need to think about like what we're going to read, when we're going to read, how we're going to read But the invitation is, come and practice the reading of Scripture, allowing it to shape who we are. Third practice. You're going to see a pattern here. They all begin with S. Slowing down. I think this one is the one that most changes and challenges me as an individual. We live in a society where everything continuously goes at a pace. When you read the gospel accounts, you find that Jesus had three years to do what he was here to do, and yet he was never in a rush. That's profound. Like Jesus is one who lived unhurried. He always 
had time for both the planned and the unplanned. Still keeping focused on where he was ultimately heading to the cross and then his resurrection. And yet he was never in a hurry. He was also present. That he lived in a way that caused him to be fully present at any given moment with any given person. And Jesus longs to call us to live the same. To live slowing down in order that we would be unhurried and be present. You find it in the story that is spoken of here in Luke 10 where Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha and saying, actually, don't live in a way that causes you to miss what's going on. Like, live unhurried and be present. This challenges us in our Western world. To say, well, are we those that live with margins in our life? Are we those that are living unhurried and present? Like for me, this last year, I've just felt God really speak to me about living present and being present. And in actual fact, God said, I'm going to take the next 10 years to teach you about what it means to be present. I was thinking, 10 years? He's like, yeah, that's how long it's going to take. I thought, wow, I've got a lot to learn. Because what I realized is in being present means I'm not thinking about the next thing. I'm not thinking about what's just been. I'm in this moment thinking about who's before me. God, what are you wanting to do here? And God, what are you revealing to me here? Third one, slowing down. Fourth one, silence and solitude, prayer and fasting. It's kind of four in one here. Jesus was at home at the crowd, in the crowd, and yet practiced moments of withdrawing from everyone in order that he would be silent and would be alone. And Jesus longs for us to live the same way. He seemed to live with this rhythm of being in the city and outside the city. In the silence, it allows us space to hear God and also to hear ourselves, of hearing what really is going on. And I often find in the silence is where it gets loudest in my own heart and mind of me considering, okay, what's going on here? But also allows me to suddenly in that silence hear more of what God's wanting to say to me. And the solitude is the invitation to get away. Like Jesus literally says, like, shut yourself in a room and pray. You see, in the silence and solitude, it isn't that we don't do anything, it's that we do something. It's the invitation to prayer and fasting. You see, prayer is the call to relationship. It's the language of contemplation, lament, petition, protection, peace, Submission, thanksgiving, blessing, and breakthrough. But in silence and solitude is also the privilege of fasting. Jesus said, like, when you fast, like, what a privilege. Like, fasting is like the language of staying centered. It's about removing other things in order that Jesus becomes supreme. I don't know what it is for you. For some of us, it'd be food. Some of us, it's caffeine, alcohol, time on TV, not reading this thing or escaping in that book, not looking at the internet. Whatever it is, we say, actually, I'm going to give this and take that away in order that Jesus, you can become more at the center. Fifth practice, simplicity. If you look at the life of Jesus, he's one who lived simply both in what he had, what he said, 
and what he did. And I think Jesus reveals something of simplicity, which increasingly, I believe, is like in the day and age we're living in, the salt and light that people are looking for. Like if you look at the rise of minimalism, it's like this thing of like consumerism doesn't work. If I keep getting stuff, it doesn't make my life any better. Therefore, if I get rid of the stuff, maybe that'll work. And so the end goal is like this palace of minimalism. It's white and there's very few bits of furniture and we think, I've made it. That's just a museum. Like Jesus models something more profound and says actually simplicity is a call to see how you handle the things you've got. It's not in the kind of desire to keep getting, but rather to see that everything you've been given has been entrusted, and therefore you seek to live with open hands, thankful for what you've got and willing to give it away. It's also a simplicity in what we say. I love the fact that Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's the simple way to live. We're not needing to spin stuff. We just live with a sense of authenticity and integrity in what we say. And then we live simply in how we live. Jesus said, like, how do you live? Well, love God, love people. No, no, it's got to be more complicated than that. There's got to be more to it. No, no, just love God and love people. Sixth one, sharing. Jesus lived in a way where he sought to share of himself and share with others. Jesus shared of himself through serving, through serving others, whether you see it in terms of the feeding of the 5,000 or the time he invested in people, but also serving through the giving of himself, the most supreme way in the giving of his life for each and every one of us throughout all time. But also Jesus shared with others. Jesus supremely did that with the Father, that Jesus continuously lives with the Father, in relationship with the Father. But also he did it with the disciples. Continuously seeking to live from a place of authenticity and inviting them in to see the wonder of who he is. You see it through the transfiguration. You see it in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus takes these moments to take some and say, this is who I am. If you really want to know me, this is it. In the transfiguration, the awe and wonder in the Gethsemane, the moment of weakness and vulnerability. And yet Jesus shares with. And in the same way, Jesus calls us to live. To live knowing part of that practice is how we share our lives. Sharing of, being those who seek to serve others. But also sharing with, being those who say, hey, if you really want to know me, this is who I am. Here's the little warning though. If you only share of, in terms of serving, you'll burn out. If you only share with, in respect to authenticity and like, let's just get to know each other, you'll just form a clique. 
That's why it's that balance. Jesus says, no, you live sharing of and with. Next one, number seven. I'm nearly there. Told you it wouldn't be as long. Sabbath. A.J. Swoboda, who wrote, I think, in the many, many books I've read on Sabbath, because God had to really take me on a journey on this one, the best book. He says this, Sabbath is celebration, a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. I'll read that again. Sabbath is celebration, a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. Jesus says he is the king of Sabbath. He's the one where it fully finds its purpose and meaning. And he's also one who practiced Sabbath. See, in that invitation from Matthew 11, Jesus says, I want to give you a life of rest. And yet he still calls us to, from that place of rest, to take a day a week to know Sabbath. See, that day a week allows us a moment to find perspective, to bring healing, to bring freedom. It's about worship and rest. You see, for me, when I take that day and say, yeah, this is a day of rest, that practice of a day of rest reminds me I don't keep the world spinning, God does. It gets a perspective of, God, you created this all, I get to enjoy it. It gets me to think, all right, this is where life's gone. I've kind of gone off track a bit here. Also, something that allows me not only to think about myself, not only to think about God, but to think about others. Think, how can I cause them to enjoy this? See, Sabbath is about, like God, it's about us, it's about the world and others. And we're invited in, and it gives us perspective. But I tell you what, it takes planning. And for each of us, it will look different depending on the season of life we're in. Like if we've got uh, tiny children, like the, the concept of a whole day of rest is like, yeah, pull another one. But it's like we just make that day look different to the others. For others of us, we're retired and we're thinking, yeah, but my life rhythm looks different, yet let's still set a day aside that looks different to the others, that allows to bring that perspective on all the other things. For others of us who think, well, I've not got tiny kids, I've not got any kids, I've just got me, I've got work. Well, that day allows you a moment to say, hey, this day resets all the others. Last practice, the sacraments. Jesus gave us the gift of the sacraments of baptism and communion to enjoy and receive him through. I think through communion and baptism, what we discover is it's about our senses, that God has created us with senses and longs to meet us in the whole of who we are. You see, in baptism, as we're immersed underwater and we're taken under, it's a living and then taken out. It's a living reminder of the reality of what Jesus has done and our union with him. In communion, it involves all of our senses. It calls us to be present and to remember and to then digest and drink and receive the wonder of who Jesus is. It's about sharing. See, these are practices we do together. 
We remember we all have the same need of the same gifts, both in respect to baptism, that when we see others baptized, we're both celebrating in their union with Jesus, and it reminds us of our union with Jesus when we were baptized. And then in communion, we come and we come to the table together because we realize we all need and share and receive the same Jesus who is enough for you and enough for me. It's a sign that baptism becomes this lifelong sign of our union with Jesus. The communion continuously reminds us afresh that we receive Jesus at the center of who we are and he is enough. And it sustains us. I keep going back to age 14. I was baptized in water. Old life gone, new life to be enjoyed. And that's how I've lived from that point on. Sometimes for some bizarre reasons, I go back and think, oh man, maybe the old life was okay. And then it comes back and says, no, no, I'm in this new life. Why do, I, why do I bother with that one? So I get to live more in this new life. With communion, it comes... And every time I come to the table, it reminds me again, Jesus, you're enough, and I receive you in all that you have for me. How are you doing then in living centered on Jesus? Some questions to finish with, and then we're going to share communion. Is today a moment to acknowledge that you need to receive him, Jesus, back at the center of your life? Like for some of us, we'll just think, I've just done Christmas, New Year, and it feels like everything spiraled out of control. And today's a day where we just say, Jesus, I still want you. I still receive you. I want you back at the center. Maybe it's in terms of those practices. We're saying, well, okay, which of those practices do we want to focus on over the coming months? Like I said, don't go for all eight. Maybe there's one particular couple where you're thinking, that's it. That's what I want to start to put more in my life. Maybe it's that this coming year you want to participate in the Way to Stay Centered learning community. I know a number, about 30 did last year. We'll do it again a couple of times this year. And it's just profoundly good where we learn from one another of how do we seek to live yoked to Jesus, more with him at the center. And then lastly, will you give yourself to asking and answering this question this year? in respect to how are you doing living centered on Jesus. I don't want today to be like, oh yeah, was that all right? I don't mind whether you thought it was an okay one or a bit of a duffer. I don't mind. What I prefer is if we can end the year thinking it just feels natural to ask one another, how are you doing living centered on Jesus? Please ask me. I need it. I need people to encourage me to keep centered. I'll be asking you. Let's ask each other. Here's the deal. I don't know what this year's got in store. What I do know is that Jesus is enough. He's enough for you, and he's enough for me. And I think if we spur one another on to live lives that are more centered on him, will discover that he's true to his word. Everything else will seem like rubbish compared to him. And that's it, man. I bless you. I pray would you know 
more of the wonder of who Jesus is this coming year. I pray would we be a community that push and encourage one another to live lives that are more centered on him. And we go then from these places this coming week, calling others, saying, silver and gold I don't have. What I do have is Jesus, and he is enough. Amen. Oh,